It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Love Talk Radio. down some Oreos before getting, uh, you know, live on air here. Um, so yeah, that Bernie landslide victory felt good, didn't it? Certainly felt good to me. And um, you might hear me say this throughout the show at various times, but listen, if Bernie Sanders wins South Carolina by any margin, this race is over. And when I say over, I don't just mean like, oh, we'll get a plurality and then fight it out at the convention. No, I mean, if Bernie Sanders wins South Carolina, he's going to get a majority and he's going to be the nominee. And there's not a damn thing the Democratic establishment can do about it. There's nothing they could do to stop it. So uh, cause for celebration for sure. Because that margin is roughly holding. It looks like only Biden is going to get any delegates outside of Bernie. Which means, excuse me, it means Pete is shut out, Klobuchar, Warren all shut out. I was actually a little surprised at how, how terrible Warren did until I heard that apparently there was so many early votes for the first time ever in Nevada. They just recently allowed it. And there were a bunch of early votes. And those votes happened before the debate. I genuinely believe if they happened after the debate, Warren would have done a lot better than she did. 
but she had a terrible showing. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's only good news for Bernie right now. That's all we got. But I will get to the meltdown. There was a historic mainstream media meltdown that I'm about to dive into for you. Um, I also I, – forget it. I got Washington Post stuff. This is not – that's not an official story I prepped, but I'm just going to throw it in here at the last minute because I saw it last night, and I was just like, I, what the hell is this? This is crazy. Um, we got the MSNBC meltdown, which was – uh, I've never seen them more desperate and more sad. I got an update on Rust Belt polling, which is, I think, pretty important. I have um, some stuff on Mayor Pete, which just exposes him in such a, you know, it'll be like a short little soundbite, but it totally exposes his entire campaign. Now they're doing the Russiagate nonsense against Bernie because they're so desperate that this is what they pulled out. And then later on in the show, I'll go after uh, Rush Limbaugh and Mark Levin, who are just totally rewriting history and making fools of themselves. Um so, yeah, sit back, relax, um, and let's dive right into it. Here we go. So Bernie Sanders uh, absolutely obliterated the competition in Nevada. Um, it turns out that that roughly the same giant lead he had when we had 4% of the results reporting, it stayed about that. I think he has like, you know, 47% or something along those lines. Closest one is Biden around 18%, maybe 20%. Um, And he's the only other one who has any delegates coming out of Nevada. So that means Mayor Pete, Amy Klobuchar, Elizabeth Warren, all were shut out. Um, Like I just said in the intro, I'm surprised at how terribly Elizabeth Warren did until I heard that we had early voting for the first time in Nevada, and there were a lot of early votes, and it happened before the debate. And so, you know, that really good debate performance she had, she didn't get that post-debate bump because a lot of the voting had already happened. Um, I do think she would have done better if all the voting happened after the debate. However, there was no, like, okay, what's better? She got 8%, and then she gets 14 So still wouldn't be viable because you got to get over that 15% threshold to get any delegates. So listen, there's no sugarcoating it. Bernie Sanders obliterated everybody. Uh, It's a dominant victory, and you're going to hear me say this a lot now, and I'm saying it because it's true. If Bernie Sanders wins South Carolina, and that race is coming up very soon, if he wins it, the race is over. And I don't mean over as in he'll get a plurality and then we have to fight it out at the convention. No, I mean over, over. I mean he will go on to win a majority. He will be our nominee, and there's not a damn thing the Democratic establishment can do about it. So, you know... In a sense, this, these upcoming couple days in South Carolina are beyond important because the polls still show. There are some polls that still have Biden with a slight lead in South Carolina. Now you're thinking, well, hold on, how can that possibly be? Because there's a lot of older black folks in South Carolina, and older black folks, that's the strongest demographic for Joe Biden. Younger black folks, it's Bernie. Older black folks, it's uh, Joe Biden. So a lot of this is going to depend on turnout. And the polls, you know, I think with how much Biden is underperforming, I think it's going to be close between Biden and Bernie. Because Biden, in the most recent poll I saw, Biden's up by five points in South Carolina, quickly falling. Bernie's quickly closing the gap. He's probably going to get a post-Nevada bump. So, you know, they're really neck and neck. 
Now, I hope I'm wrong. I hope Bernie, you know, landslides him in South Carolina like he's doing everywhere else. But we have to wait and see. But if we win South Carolina, it's over, man. Game, set, match. So the media is now starting to realize, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Everything we've been saying about Bernie Sanders and his electability chances and all this stuff, all BS. None of it true. None of it true. They had no idea what they were talking about all along. And now they're getting that stark realization that Bernie's the presumptive nominee here. And they're realizing this while they're live on air. And they're saying some of the worst things you've ever heard. So here's uh, Chris Matthews when he begins to have this realization. of that 67%. That is the name of the game. It is pretty much over unless that changes. I was reading last night, Brad, I know you're a history guy too. I'm reading last night about the fall of France in the summer of 1940. And the general, Renault, calls up Churchill and says, it's over. And Churchill said, how can it be? You got the greatest army in Europe. How can it be over? He said, it's over. So I had that suppressed feeling. I can't be as wild as Carville, but he is damn smart. And I think he's damn right on this one. So, listen, I, that's an analogy. I think if you sit down and have a conversation with Chris Matthews, he would very clearly say, no, I don't think Bernie Sanders is like the Nazis. I, I don't believe that. However, having said that, I would implore Chris Matthews, please just be a little careful with these analogies that you trot out. Because in the case of Bernie Sanders specifically, he would be our first Jewish president, and he has family members who died in the Holocaust. So when you casually talk about his you know, Nevada caucus victory, and you throw out there, like, this is just like you know, the Nazis taking over France, because, oh, it was expected that this wouldn't happen, but then it happened, and it happened so quickly, and it's like, oh, it's over, it's over, it's over. Don't, don't make that comparison. Don't make that analogy. Now, again, if somebody there had more than three and a half brain cells, they would have brought up to Chris Matthews, like, hey, man, listen, oh, we get it. You know, this is a shocking moment, and that's the analogy you're trying to make. Oh, it's shocking, but don't compare this, you know, somebody who would be the first Jewish president to the Nazis in their victory, please. That's, a, you know, that's crazy. So I, I do think that some people are going a little too far in, in saying that, you know, oh, Chris flat out believes Bernie Sanders is like the Nazis. I, I don't think he believes that. And again, I think if anybody was there to push back on him, he'd be like, well, no, of course I don't mean it literally. Like, I don't mean that he's like the Nazis, but, you know, he, he made a bad analogy. And... I would just say be careful using Nazi analogies with somebody who would be the first Jewish president and somebody who stands for against everything that they stood for. Um, now, having said all that, I will get to a story later where there, it's not an analogy. It's what we're talking about is somebody who works at Fox News who actually believes and says quite clearly no, Bernie Sanders is like the Nazis. I think an analogy is a lot less egregious, even though it's still bad and he shouldn't do it. 
it's a lot less egregious than what you're going to see later, which is a Fox host who flat out says, like, no, 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 I'm not, this isn't an analogy. This is, I'm saying Bernie Sanders is like these people. It's exact, they're exactly alike. Like, his ideology, his philosophy coincides with them. And by the way, the same clip goes on to throw in there, you know, I think Marx and Engels and others. Like, that's my favorite thing about how stupid some of the attacks are against Bernie is that they're totally incoherent. It's like they're not even trying. They just think, okay, what are bad things that we all agree are bad things? Okay, he's all of those bad things at once. But what if the bad things are like, you know, in competition with one another and and they're not the same thing? Like it's a contradiction to say this bad thing is the same as this bad thing. Like these, they can't, you can't be both of those things. They're like, I don't care. He's both of those things. Well, that's not like you're, you're an idiot. You're not making any sense. <laughs> so they're, it, they're getting desperate, man. They're getting desperate. Um, now, I'm very curious to see what happens next with Chris Matthews because there was literally like a hashtag fire Chris Matthews thing that was trending on Twitter. Um, and I, I wonder what he's going to say the next time he's on air. Because my guess is he's actually going to be like, oh, listen, guys, I didn't mean he's like literally like the Nazis. I was just making... Uh, an analogy and saying, this thing was really surprising, and this thing is really surprising. That's it. That's the extent of my uh, analogy. But again, not a good analogy. Just don't, just try not to bring up the Nazis in any <laughs> comparison with this wonderful man that we have right here. Now, I know many of you are going to say, hey, Kyle, you're, uh, maybe you're being a little too soft on Chris Matthews here. Uh, no, I, let me be clear. I think he's an idiot. <laughs> I think he's a giant moron. Um, I think that he probably should have retired five years ago, six years ago. Um, I'm just trying to say that if somebody pushed back on him, he would have been like, no, I'm not saying that, you know, this dude is like Goebbels or Hitler. Of course not. So, um, but still, don't make that analogy, Chris. And you should probably be a lot more intelligent than you are. And um, they're melting down, man. There was another clip. One of the reporters was at one of the caucus sites, and you heard like a very audible sigh when she was describing how big the victory was for Bernie. Like, oh, you see all those people right there? <sighs> They're Bernie supporters. <laughs> he was really upset. Another one was on air fantasizing about Mike Bloomberg coming in with a spiked bat to bludgeon Bernie Sanders. Like, it is, it's so desperate and it's so pathetic that I almost feel bad because you watch it and you go, oh, this is one of the main reasons why you guys are so ineffectual in trying to stop them is that you don't have anything to add to the conversation that's substantive. So you flip out, you have tantrums, you have panic attacks on air. So in a way, I actually have a degree of sympathy for them because they're so like, it's just so sad. I could go find a random group of sixth graders and they would make more substantive criticisms of all the candidates than all the minds on MSNBC together can do. So it's really something to see. Um, there was a, a, quite a list that people compiled of the meltdown night on MSNBC. What's fascinating is, guys, CNN is treating Bernie way more fairly than MSNBC does. And there's a few voices on air that have relatively consistently been, you know, kind to Bernie or fair to Bernie with some, a degree of that not happening as well. So for example, Van Jones said a couple things every now and then that you're like, well, what, what? Um, 
Andrew Yang said a couple things where you're like, what? But there have been many moments where Van Jones is kind to Bernie. There have been many moments where Yang is kind to Bernie. Um, Alexandra uh, Rojas is now on CNN. And it's so funny watching when she's on there because it's like, <laughs> it's like she's in the Twilight Zone and everybody around her is just saying things that are ridiculous. And she chimes in with the most obvious thing ever. And they're all like, oh, <laughs> It's really so sad. And for those of you who don't know, Alexandra Rojas is now, uh, you know, in the leadership of Justice Democrats. I believe the executive director of Justice Democrats. Uh, she's doing wonderful work with Justice Democrats. And, you know, to watch her, like, burst their bubble of silliness is always hilarious. Like, she'll, she'll chime in when they're dumping on Bernie and be like, you know, he is the guy who assembled this, uh, you know, multi, multiracial, multigenerational working class coalition that you guys say is important for any candidate to assemble. And they're like, you know, wow. Yeah. The numbers do show that they do show that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So at least CNN has a couple of voices that are not totally, you know, dumping on Bernie 24 seven. And then now I'm going to blow your mind. You guys ready for this? The network that I would argue has been most fair to Bernie is Fox news. (laughs) I'm not kidding. Now, I think the reason for that is the Pied Piper strategy, the 2020 version. For those of you who don't know what that means, back in 2016, Hillary Clinton and her team in the DNC famously said, behind closed doors, and WikiLeaks released these emails so we know about it, hey, treat Donald Trump like he's the one we're scared of because we want to bolster him, we want him to win because we think there's no way that Hillary can lose to Donald Trump in a general election. There's no way. Well, it turns out they're all a bunch of idiots, and be careful what you wish for. They got what they wanted, and then he won. Now, by the same token, I think the exact same thing is happening this time with Fox News. Where they're like, oh, yeah, 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 bolster up Bernie Sanders, because there's no way he's totally unelectable. There's no way he could beat Trump. So pump him up as much as you possibly can. And that's what they're doing. So I think they have nefarious motives for doing it. But at the same time, when you just watch their coverage at face value, you're like, yeah, that's, uh, that's fair. Everything that they said is fair. And then you have, you know, um, then you have, like, Tucker Carlson, for example, who's been giving a lot of favorable coverage to Bernie. In his case, I think it might be a little different because he's been relatively consistent in saying that populist economic stuff is important in sales, and he's been relatively consistent with uh, saying anti-war stuff. So I think there are other reasons where Tucker is a lot kinder to Bernie. And also, he sees what the Democratic establishment is doing to Bernie, and so he's using that to dump on the Democratic establishment. So, you know... I think he's a little bit of a different case, but the rest of the voices on Fox, by and large, they're more fair to Bernie than CNN or MSNBC. And that's wild to say, but it's totally true. That will change the second we get into a general election, though, so don't get it twisted. The second we get into a general election, they'll flip on a dime, and every single day will be anti-Bernie this, anti-Bernie that, socialism, 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 Venezuela, 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 Um, you know, and all their arguments will be trash, but they will, you know, go very aggressive against him come the general election. But as of right now, they're being very fair to him because they think they're playing the Pied Piper strategy. But again, in their case, too, careful what you wish for. Because they think, like, what do you think? Klobuchar would have a better chance of beating Trump? Buttigieg? I mean, come on, Biden? No way! Donald Trump would obliterate all of them. Bloomberg? He would destroy all of them. The only one who even has a chance against Trump today is Bernie Sanders. So everybody needs to understand that. Um, 
but as of right now, because of a variety of factors, it would be a very, it's close between Trump and Bernie. Trump is nothing to mess around with, man. He's going to be a much more formidable opponent than I originally thought because of a confluence of factors, namely him defeating the Mueller report, him defeating impeachment, um, and now you see he's bragging about doing left-wing things like the First Step Act and pardoning Alice Johnson and all this stuff. He's going to be a formidable opponent. He's also quite a bragger. You know, you and I both know the economy is broken and it's screwing working people. Have his little, you know, index card of talking points, and he hits it every time he goes out there. You know, unemployment rate the lowest, stock market through the roof, this and that. He's got his thing, and he just go, go, goes. So um, it'll, be a, it'll be a tough election, but Bernie's the only one with a prayer. So it's interesting watching all these networks melt down. Um, and I'm just getting started. I got more clips of it, too. But as Crystal Ball was saying on uh, Rising, you can see, like on MSNBC, they're going through the stages of grief. They're going through the stages of grief with Bernie Sanders winning. It's quite a sight to behold. Okay, next. Next. All right, Chris Matthews. We got more on him. Chris Matthews said the quiet part loud about the Democratic establishment. Um, I thought that it would take a little longer for stuff like this to be said, but it's happening now, probably because they see the writing is on the wall and Bernie Sanders is in a very, very uh, good position for this election. So I'm not sure if this was just after or just before Bernie's landslide victory in uh, in Nevada, but look at what Matthew says on air. I mean, that's maybe a, a too exciting a question to raise. They don't like Trump at all. Do they want Bernie Sanders to take over the Democratic Party in perpetuity? Well, I mean, he could he said over. He sets the direction of the future of the party. Maybe they'd rather wait four years and put in the Democrats that they like. Mask off. Mask off. Maybe they'd rather, they'd rather, they'd rather, nice word, made up word. They'd rather wait four years. So he's saying, hey, man, maybe Democratic moderates would prefer Trump to Bernie. We've been having a lot of these conversations recently on the left, and um, the transition is happening pretty quickly. Certainly all those former, you know, the never-Trump Republicans who are now trying to have sway over the Democratic Party, certainly they will go either, you know, beg Mike Bloomberg to run third party or support Trump. Um, But... To have somebody like Chris Matthews say that on air, hey, is this what the, the Democratic moderates want? Now, here's a, uh, an important correction, by the way. He's talking about, oh, Democratic moderates might want Trump over Bernie. No, Chris. Democratic moderates, you ready for this? The entrance polls and the exit polls um, show very clearly that Bernie Sanders won among self-described moderates and conservatives in the primary in Nevada and I'm sure, I don't know if we have data for New Hampshire and Iowa, but I'm pretty sure 
the, the data would reflect that there as well. And the data said the same thing in 2016 in the primary, uh, Bernie versus Hillary. Bernie Sanders actually wins self-described moderates and conservatives. Now, how could that be? Well, I've told you a million times, labels don't matter. People don't know what they mean. So people just hear Bernie talking, they go, I don't know, that's common sense. I like that guy. I'm voting for him, even though Bernie's on the left and they describe themselves as a moderate or conservative. So I think that's a really important point because Chris Matthews is actually saying is the Democratic establishment, the actual voters, moderate Democratic voters, centrist Democratic voters, conservative Democratic voters, they're going to vote for Bernie in a general election. Because they're voting for him in the freaking primary. Of course they're going to vote for him in the general election. What Chris is really saying there is the elites of the party, the Democratic establishment, might prefer Trump to Bernie. To which I say to him, of course they do. Because under a Bernie Sanders presidency, there is no role for the Nira Tandon. Nira Tandon is www.dun.com. There's no role for a neoliberal corporate wing of the party anymore. Their day is done. So since that's the case, they know that. What would they rather do? Hey, have Trump win a second term. Sit back and pretend like you're part of the resistance. And you're, I'm a leader fighting back against Trump. That's what I am. Watch me go. And then that gives you an opportunity to reorganize and come back in four years and see if you can have, you know, a candidate who represents that, that ideology better who has a chance of winning. So I have no doubt in my mind that the near attendants um, and the establishment figures would rather have Trump. They might not say it out loud, but I definitely think that that's where they are. But Chris Matthews conflates their Democratic moderates and the Democratic establishment. They are not the same thing. The actual voters will absolutely back Bernie Sanders. But there you go, another mask off moment, the quiet part, loud moment, because um, you would think that they would try to hide that a little bit better, right? Like he's musing about it and whatnot, but he's right. There is a sentiment among the establishment that's like, yeah, whatever, just let Trump win. Let Trump win again, and then we'll keep fighting him, and then maybe we'll be back in four years, and we can keep controlling the party. There's a whole Democratic establishment elitist consultant class that gets very rich in D.C., you know, being uh, strategists and staffers for these different politicians. And they all suck at their job. They're all terrible. Just look at what the Hillary people and the Kamala people did to, um, to Elizabeth Warren's campaign. And they want to continue to control the narrative and the direction of the party, and their day is done. So they definitely would prefer another four years of Trump to a Bernie Sanders presidency where they're out of a job and they need to find new careers. So there it is. There it is. But, um, you know... And I'll talk more about this later, but in order for Bernie to win the election, he actually should piss off the Democratic establishment. Because, again, that's not the same thing as Democratic moderate voters. There's a big difference there. So piss off the Democratic establishment all you want. Bring into the tent the moderate and conservative voters who self-describe that way. The voters, we're trying to get them all. The establishment, they are a paper tiger. And so run against them. Run against them on purpose. Go after them. Treat them with the same disdain you have for the Republican establishment. Okay, now I got another vicious attack. Another vicious attack, another vicious attack. 
So Dr. Jason Johnson is an MSNBC contributor, and um, he recently went viral for getting into it with Nina Turner uh, over the issue of Mike Bloomberg and whether or not he's an oligarch. Uh, Jason Johnson was taking the position, don't use that word, and Nina Turner was taking the position of, why would I not use that word? That's definitely an accurate description for what he is. So what are you talking about? Why are you protesting on this point? Well, um, Dr. Jason Johnson wanted to clarify on those statements, and he wound up making his situation way worse. What actually happened on the air was she was doing an interview with Chris Matthews, and she referred to Mike Bloomberg as an oligarch. And she was like, oh, we've got to do something about these oligarchs, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, good. God, really? Really? Is this, is this what we're doing? And so uh, the student said, hey, Jason, would you like to say something? I said, look, this is not the kind of language that you should be using in campaigns. This is that high-minded grad school cipher crap mm. that a bunch of sort of liberal pinheads want to throw out because they want to sound smart. You don't go around calling people oligarchs in America. First off, most people don't even know what the hell it means. But he is kind of an oligarch. But that's not the issue. Yeah. This isn't the kind of language you should be using. Regular people, this doesn't make any sense to them. And when you say these sorts of things, you miss speaking to regular people. Nina, I guess, misinterpreted what I was saying. She thought I was defending Mike Bloomberg. She thought I didn't understand what an oligarch was. Neither of those things was correct. We had an intense conversation and then moved on. I have no issue with it. I have no issue with Nina Turner. However, a large number of bargain-basement, pathetic, doubly intensely ignorant, bigoted white boys who masquerade as liberals, mm. who find themselves consistently in support of Bernie Sanders online, have decided that they want to make this part of their meme. I do find it fascinating that racist liberal whites seem to love them some Bernie Sanders consistently and always have a problem with any person of color who doesn't want to follow with the orthodoxy of their Lord and Savior Bernie Sanders. When that man sat in front of several members of Black Lives Matter and told them that the reason that more black people are in jail is because they sell more drugs, I seem to remember things like that. Mm -hmm. When that man got off the stage because he didn't want to talk to Black Lives Matter and Jeff Bieber's campaign manager said to us, black journalists, why would Bernie want to talk to you right now given what Black Lives Matter just did on the stage because all Negroes are the same? I'm sorry, I kind of remember stuff like that. The man cares nothing for intersectionality. Uh, and I don't care how many people from the island of misfit black girls that you throw out to defend you on a regular basis. Okay. It I doesn't mean that you can't be serious. I don't care. I don't care. Well, it turns out you did care as soon as the network, MSNBC, heard your comments and then you came out and apologized. So you did care. You did care when your job was on the line. So uh, that is indeed what went on to happen. Uh, I guess people over at MSNBC saw the comments because this blew up on Twitter. And, um, you know, they were like, they probably gave him an ultimatum and said, listen, you're either no longer a contributor here or you apologize. And so he did come out, tail between his legs, apologized. You know, listen, obviously he believed what he said. And um, so he should have had some principles and went down with the ship and said, no, I'm not going to apologize, and then been fired from MSNBC. But in Dr. Jason Johnson fashion, you know, he decided I'm going to fold because they're hanging something over my head. They're hanging my job over my head. So principles? Doesn't matter that I actually believe this. I'm going to, you know, fine, I'm sorry. I didn't really mean it, whatever. So, all right, let's go through his arguments here because this is just terrible. Now, who's he referring to? He actually goes on to say in that clip, 
the island of misfit black girls, he's saying, no, 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 that doesn't include Nina Turner. I like Nina Turner. Okay, so then are you talking about uh, Brianna Joy Gray? That, I think, is who he's talking about, among, you know, other prominent female black supporters of Bernie Sanders. So look at the language. Look at, like, there's no policy criticism there. There's no substantive criticism there. You're just being a dick to black women who ironically don't fall in line with what you believe and what you want them to say. As that's your criticism of Bernie, pure projection. That's pure projection right there, what you just saw. You know, uh, he goes, a lot of bigoted white boys like Bernie. Racist liberals love them some Bernie Sanders. Do you have any, I don't know, data backing that up? No, it's his feeling, my feeling. Yeah, so all the white people who are strongly supporting a candidate who marched in the civil rights movement with Martin Luther King. Now, they don't like it when you say that. Oh, my God, that's old. Why are you bringing up old stuff? I don't know. It seems pretty important to me, but fine. Look past that. Somebody who has consistently been on the proper side of racial justice issues his entire career. His entire career. But no, the, the white people who are supporting the guy who's correct on the racial justice issues, they're somehow bigoted. Why? Because they make fun of you when you say dumb things? I got news for you. That's not bigotry. That's them correcting the record when you say preposterous things. Like, stop trying to spin disagreement as bigotry when it's like Bernie supporters correcting you or going after you. Own it. Own a lot of the mistakes you make and the silly things you say, which leads to the main point, which is, Uh, You took issue with calling Bloomberg an oligarch. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? That's why these people come after you. Not because they're racist. Not because they're bigoted. Because whether or not you acknowledge it and realizing it, you're playing defense for one of the most corrupt people in the goddamn country. Somebody who bought his way onto the debate stage with a $300,000 donation to the DNC, $800,000 donation to the Democratic Grassroots Victory Fund, which is all the state Democratic parties combined, somebody who's been giving more donations uh, directly to the individual state parties, he bought rules changes. He's the definition of an oligarch. Forget the fact that he even you know, bought changes to term limits as for mayor of New York City, banned big gulps, blocked a minimum wage increase. I can go on and on. Banned feeding the homeless in New York City. You don't like the language, and so you're triggered by it. Don't call him that. Why? Why Why would you not call him that? Truth is always a defense, and it's true. Even the host there was like, he is kind of an oligarch, though, and he's like, that's not the point. Okay, so what's the point? Well, he goes on to say, regular people don't talk like this. Oh, I see. So your point is the average voter is stupid, and you should try to talk down to them. You know, I actually think... A lot of people know what oligarch means, and the ones who don't, it's not that hard to be like, oh, that's an interesting new word I never heard. Let me look it up. (laughs) Google oligarch. Oh, look, it fits the definition. Wow, would you look at that? So why? Why? Oh, talk down to the The idea that Nina Turner is somehow not connecting with regular people, that might be the least true thing anybody has ever said in human history. Nina Turner 
is masterful at connecting with ordinary people. Nina Turner is an amazing, you know, surrogate for Bernie Sanders going out there. Her speeches are incredible. They're moving. They give me chills. They give other people chills. You want to take part in the movement after hearing her speak. The idea that she's somehow, oh, really? She looks like some out-of-touch academic? You look like an out-of-touch academic. You do. You do. Everything you just said there was an out-of-touch academic nonsense argument. Are you kidding me? Oh, don't use that word. The, the, you know, the peasants don't know that word, so don't use that word. Try to talk down to them. What are, oh, my God. Oh, my God. A really out-of-touch, up-your-own-ass academic thing to say is, oh, any supporter of Bernie Sanders who's white who criticizes me is, by definition, racist and bigoted. That line of argument is a pretty out-of-touch, in-your-ivory-tower academic point to make when all those people that you're demeaning support every single policy position that would improve black and brown lives in this country, that would improve all working-class lives in this country. Oh, my God. So anyway, as I said, he apologized. He came out. I, you know, I honestly, I would have had a lot more respect for him if he didn't. Because you heard him there. He meant what he said, man. He meant what he said. And his point is, hey, listen, I am judging you. If you're a black woman who supports Bernie Sanders, I am judging you. I think you're a misfit. I think you're from the island of misfit black girls. So tell me again who's a bigot, Dr. Jason Johnson. Tell me again who's a bigot. Seriously, did you not stop and reflect on this? The fact that you feel like you can get away with casually referring to black women who support Bernie Sanders as the island of misfit black girls? Isn't that kind of a bigoted thing to say? So that's, how, that's what they're like, because they support him and I don't like him. Well, just so you know, Bernie Sanders is leading among people of color by a mile and a half. So when you accuse these people of being misfits, or being bigots, you're accusing more people in the Democratic base than any other candidate has. So listen, I'll say what I said in a different context as well. If you think Bernie Sanders supporters are uniquely bad or misfits or whatever you want to call them, whatever negative word you want to call them, well, then you have a giant problem with the Democratic base. So maybe, and I'll just throw this out there, maybe you're in the wrong party. I'm just trying to help you out. If you're going to defend Bloomberg and say, oh, he's not an oligarch, oh, my God, you're going to defend him when all of his policy positions and every move he's taken is deeply corrupt and proves he's an oligarch. If you're going to defend him on that and you're going to go after the most diverse working class coalition in this entire race, maybe you're in the wrong party. Maybe that it's not really that you have a problem with Nina Turner. It's just you have a problem with left politics in general because that's sure what it sounds like to me. Now go have fun at your elitist you know, network MSNBC where you guys sit around all day and mock and make fun of somebody who's trying to improve lives and get everybody Medicare for all, free college, ending the wars, uh, a Green New Deal, legalizing marijuana, freeing every nonviolent drug offender, eliminating student loan debt, eliminating medical debt. Go ahead. You make fun of that candidate, and uh, let me know how that works out for you. Okay, next. So what you're about to hear is absolutely glorious. 
I don't know if I ever thought I'd see the day where mainstream media had to write these articles, but they're admitting it. They're admitting that Medicare for All is perhaps a political winner, not a liability. So NBC News says the following. Democratic voters embrace Medicare for All in Iowa, New Hampshire, and Nevada. Wow. NBC News entrance or exit polls find that Medicare for All is supported by large majorities of Democratic voters in Iowa, 57% support to 38% opposition. New Hampshire, 58% support uh, to 37% opposition. And Nevada, 62% support to 35% opposition. That helps explain the strength of Bernie Sanders in all three states and indicates that rival candidates who staked their primary campaigns on opposing Medicare for All, most notably Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg, may have miscalculated Amy Klobuchar too. Many Democratic voters in 2020 are less interested in candidates who talk about what is politically possible and more interested in candidates who seek to change what's possible. I love that quote. Oh, my God. Um, Now, here's how the question was worded, just so you know, because I feel like this is also an important point. How do you feel about replacing all private health insurance with a single government plan for everybody? Now, listen, guys, I, I can't stress this enough. That question was worded that way in an attempt to make people say, I don't support that. The way you word poll questions is everything, because you could get any answer you want, depending on how you word it. And that question was worded specifically to try to get people to say, no, I don't support Medicare for all. They were fishing for an answer under 50%, because they worded that as scary as you possibly could. You could have said, "Um, do you support a single-payer Medicare for all system where everybody gets health care and is free at the point of service? Could have said that. That's one way to word it. And by the way, if they did that, it would have been like 90%. But no, they said... How do you feel about replacing all private health insurance, they're trying to scare you there, with a single government plan for everybody? They're trying to stress, like, it's taking away your choice. It's taking away your choice. Even when they word it in an anti-Medicare for all way, Medicare for all crushed. It crushed. This gets to an important point about the Bernie Sanders era, and it's a point I made before, but I didn't make it nearly enough. I have to stress this point. Bernie Sanders is a candidate. That's so important and so special because what he does is he baits the Democratic establishment into taking their mask off and showing the world what they really are. See, when Bernie goes out there and he says, I think everybody should have health care and it should be free at the point of service, he's not saying anything that wasn't said previously by every Democratic president. You know, you go back, I think even Clinton had speeches about that. Now, you know, they ended up backing off of it because of Republican opposition and a million different things. But Bill Clinton originally said the same thing casually. FDR said the same thing. That's if you go way back. JFK said the same thing. Truman said the same thing. Like, there is a rich history in the United States of America in politics of the left position being, of course we should have a national health care system. Every other developed country has it. File that under, duh, of course we want that. So when you look at the history of politics in America, that's the position of the left. But what does Bernie do? We've gotten to such a a craven political era where corporate money floods the system and the Democratic Party is totally sold out to Wall Street and for-profit health insurance companies and big pharma and the military-industrial complex. They're just as bad as the Republicans in many respects on that front. So as a result of that, 
now they've really convinced themselves because of the rot. They've convinced themselves, oh, no, that's, it's actually not popular to say everybody should have health care and it should be free at the point of service and we should have a national system. They've convinced themselves that that's a political loser to say those things. None of the data ever showed that that was a loser. There's like a brief period where it was, but it, ever since Bernie in 2015 started going out there and talking about this relentlessly, the numbers went up and up and up and up and up and up and up, and it's been really high for a long time now. So Bernie Sanders is so important because he gets the Democratic establishment to admit what they really are, which is not in favor of Medicare for All, not in favor of free college, not in favor of ending the wars, not in favor of a Green New Deal. So... That's really important because it used to be the case that these corporatists would have to be like, I am totally in favor of health care for everybody. And then when push came to shove, they were like, ha, ha, just kidding. No, we're not. But now he's gotten them to the point where they're like, um, I got to disagree with him, right? Because he might actually make these changes and, and stand up against the special interests. So, yeah, no, Medicare for all is bad. Well, look at how that argument worked out for you. So from now on, if the Democratic establishment has any intelligence at all, they will adjust moving forward, definitely by the next election, and they'll have all their candidates will pretend to support Medicare for all. Some people were a little more clever, by the way. Some Democratic establishment people were a little more clever. And Kamala early on was bragging about, I was the first one to sign on to his Medicare for all bill in the Senate. Oh, interesting. So what happened? Briefly, early on, Kamala Harris came out of the gate strong. And everybody was saying, oh, my God, she's doing well in the polls. She could be a real force to be reckoned with. Elizabeth Warren used to go out there and play the Me Too game with Bernie. I'm, well, me Too, I'm just like Kim. Me Too. I'm like Kim, except I'm younger and I'm female. Vote for me. She was number one in the polls for a brief period when she was doing that. And then what happened? Thank God the Democratic establishment class, the staffers, got to Kamala Harris, got to Elizabeth Warren, and they changed their talking points. And Elizabeth Warren backed off of Medicare for All, leaned into, I'm a woman. I'm a woman, everybody. I'm a woman. I'd be the first woman president. I'm, I'm a woman. I'm a woman. And everybody went, I'm going to go back to the Medicare for All thing. And so she tanked in the polls. Kamala Harris, same thing. When she decided, uh, uh, Medicare for All is no longer my main issue. Now I will say every debate a thousand times in an awkward way that Donald Trump should be banned from Twitter. Everybody was like, what? <laughs> and she tanked in the polls. So, guys, we're winning the messaging battle. We're winning the policy battle, and that is obvious. So we'll see whether or not the Democratic establishment adjusts moving forward, and they start lying to us about supporting Medicare for All. If they're intelligent, they'll do that. If not, they'll still try to be, you know, plow forward like Klobuchar, plow forward like Buttigieg. But, hey, you know what? You've got to give them props. At least, like, Klobuchar is at least honest. Klobuchar is like, yeah, no, I don't support that. And she never pretended to. Buttigieg is a little bit of a different story. He did used to pretend to support Medicare for All. Then he changed to, uh, I'm in the middle. I'm Medicare for All who wants it. So um, it's a little bit of a different story for him. But for Klobuchar, she's just like, yeah, I don't support it. That's, you know, that's my position. Okay, well, at least you're honest, but you're wrong. So now you know. So I never want to hear again this Medicare for All. I had a giant debate with James Carville at Politicon. I don't know how many of you guys remember it, where he was taking the position that Medicare for All is like stupid and it's not a political winner. And I'm like, bro, this isn't debatable. Look at the polls. The polls are 100% on my side. It is a political winner. That's not Kyle speaking. That's not any of my other left-wing, you know, commentary buddies speaking. That's what the numbers show. Politics is not that complicated. I love how I, a, a loudmouth YouTuber, I'm lecturing one of the people who got Bill Clinton elected. And I'm like, no, 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 bro, you're stuck in 1992. That's not how this works anymore. 
Listen, the polls show people want Medicare for all. If you want to win elections, you go to where the polls are. You go to where the people are. You say, I will be a champion for the things that you want. And by the way, that does mean that come the general election, and I'll do a different segment on this at a certain point, but Bernie does have to do, in many ways, he's not going to pivot at all, and he's going to stay exactly on message, and that's the right thing to do. There are a tiny number of issues where he's going to have to not pivot, but he's going to have to change his rhetoric so that it appeals to a broader audience in the general election. Again, I'll do a separate segment on that, and I'll go into detail about it. But bottom line is, guys, politics is not rocket science, man. It's just not. And when you go to where the people are, yeah, you're going to win. And beyond that, there are also some issues where the argument is so strong that even if the polls aren't with you right now, you can make the polls be with you with relatively little work. And one of those ideas that was easy to sell all along was, hey, you know, I don't think you should go bankrupt for, ha- for getting health care. Just a thought. I think maybe health care should be free at the point of service for you, and it should be funded by tax dollars, and you should get effectively a tax cut because you'll pay less for your health care under a Medicare for All system. So um, Medicare for All is a winner. It's a political winner. That's the end of the conversation. I don't want to hear a single centrist ever again say that the opposite is true. Okay, next. The good news keeps rolling in. I'm not playing around, y'all. The good news keeps rolling in. So as you heard me say before, if Bernie Sanders wins South Carolina, it's over, 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 over. As in, it won't be a plurality. He's going to win a majority, and there's nothing the Democratic establishment can do to stop us. In fact, you know, I don't want to say this because I personally don't think it's true yet, but there's an argument that it's already over, over. Why? Because no candidate on the Democratic or Republican side in American history has ever won the first three contests, the popular vote in the first three contests. So we could already be at that point, but no, don't believe that, don't think that, don't say that. I don't think it's true yet. I think if Biden wins South Carolina, then there's a slight door that's open for, you know, the result to be changed. But if, if Bernie wins South Carolina, game, set, match, son, it's over. It's over. So that's the good news. Now, we have some new polls. This is from UW-Madison Elections Research Center. And these polls are specifically in Rust Belt states, swing states. This is is Bernie Sanders' path to victory. You know, there's there's real talk about, you know, Democrats kind of abandoning certain states that are now, you know, politically not advantageous to us. So namely, you know, I think the one that pops... Uh, in mind the most is Florida. Florida, there's kind of a discussion now about it being a lost cause. About like, mm, I don't know, because what you do, usually what you have there is um, like older people from the Northeast with a decent amount of money go retire in Florida and live in Florida, and those people are not going to vote for a populist-less candidate. Those people are going to vote for somebody like Trump. So there's been this demographic change slowly happening in Florida that makes the state further and further right. Now, you know, whether or not it's worth investing resources there to try to change that outcome, that's an open question. I'm a big fan of a 50-state strategy. I think we should try to win absolutely everywhere we can. But there's real conversation now about, dog, Bernie could win Texas. He could win Texas. 
And he just had a rally there the other day, and it was gigantic. You would never imagine a Democrat could get these kind of numbers in Texas. So, you know, they might try to snag Texas, which is the whole, that's the whole ballgame. If a Democrat wins Texas, wowzers. So they might go there. But the other important part is you got to win the Rust Belt, man. You have to win the Rust Belt. You just have to. So what are the polls showing in the Rust Belt right now in, in the primary? What's happening in the primary in the Rust Belt? Look. Now, this was before, this poll was done before Nevada. And he's going to get another bump after Nevada because he obliterated in Nevada. So you have Michigan, Bernie 25, Biden 16, not sure or other 14, Bloomberg 13, Warren 13, Wisconsin, Bernie 30, Biden 13, Bloomberg 13, Buttigieg 12, Warren 12, Pennsylvania, Bernie 25, Biden 20, Bloomberg uh, 19, Buttigieg 12, not sure other 10. So again, Bernie's crushing in all those states. This is before Nevada. Now he's going to go up even more. Now, I submit to you, if this was any other candidate, if this was Buttigieg, if this was Biden that had these poll numbers coming out of the Rust Belt in the primary, you would hear nonstop on cable news, oh, oh, no, 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 listen, we have no option. We got to go with this candidate because this candidate is winning in the Rust Belt, and that's what you need in order to win the general election. And Bernie's not electable. Look, at see, Biden or Buttigieg, they're leading in these states. It's over. What are you doing? You got to support that candidate. When it's Bernie www.zipit.org. Nobody's talking about it. Nobody's talking about this poll. Why? Why are you not talking about it? That seems pretty important to me. The whole conversation of electability, it's right here. Here's all the data you need. Another poll came out for head-to-head matchups between Bernie, or excuse me, between Trump and all of the respective Democrats. Bernie is winning by the largest margin. Now, listen, it's not like it's not a layup election. I got to stress that now because there was really a confluence of events that makes Trump uniquely strong right now. Beating the Mueller report, winning impeachment. um, You know, now he's pivoting to the left and he's campaigning from a left wing perspective, bragging about the First Step Act. He will be tough to beat. But the polls are already showing that Bernie is the one who has the best chance of beating him. So, listen, this this is the whole ballgame with electability. And at this late date in the election now, it appears to be a no-brainer. And then also with the giant crushing Nevada victory, Bernie's numbers are going to go up in these states. So it really could be good night establishment the night of the South Carolina primary. If Bernie wins the South Carolina primary, it might be time to you know, break open the champagne bottles. It really might be time. Now, again, always act like we're 10 points down until it's over, over. And I cannot wait. I will run to the polls on Election Day to support Bernie in the New York primary, and you should do the same in your respective states. But, yeah, it is – if he wins South Carolina, I will probably be happier than I've ever been in my life. Okay. All right. Break time, y'all. Break time, y'all. Break time, y'all. Break time, y'all. Oh, shit. Premature, premature preservation. All right, I will be right back, guys, and don't go anywhere because we're just getting started. I got a million more things to talk about. We'll be right back.
We are back, bitch. You vibing with this song? I sort of like this song. It's got a very secular, talky vibe to it. I like it a lot. All right, so let's talk about Mayor Pete. I do have a story on Mayor Pete, which is... um, It's overdue, long overdue that I gave you guys these exact numbers, but they really just came out, so uh, maybe it's not that overdue. Anyway, all right, here we go. I have an amazing fact here for you, uh, which tells us us virtually everything that we need to know about Mayor Pete's campaign. So this is from uh, David Wright, and he's tweeting out uh, some numbers here, I believe from CNN. This shows exactly Mayor Pete's percentage of small-dollar donors over time. So in January of 2019, when he kind of first came on the scene, 65.2% of his support was from small-dollar donors. By the time you fast-forward to April, so that block between April and July, okay, that number drops to 43.9%. So that's a, I mean, that's a pretty sizable drop right there in small-dollar donor support. Then you fast-forward even more. The next block, 45.2%. Okay, so it bounces back a little bit. Then by the time you get to October, October to December, 38.6% of his donors are small-dollar donors And then finally, by the time you get to January of 2020, 29.2% of his support is from small-dollar donors. So, in other words, guys, when he jumped in the race, he was a nobody. Nobody knew who he was. You know, people weren't really taking him seriously. Um, And to his credit, he had to, like, work hard to get his name known and to be taken seriously. And he did that successfully. But then what happened is, and this is the character arc you see with a lot of politicians, is he started out saying, like, hey, man, listen, I'm not like the other politicians. I'm a small-town mayor. I'm all about the people. I'm a Midwesterner. I represent, you know, that part of the country. It's not just flyover country to me. He was trying to make the case, like, I'm a man of the people. I'm a populist. That's what I'm doing here. And so as a result of that, he got a decent amount of small-dollar donor support. 65.2% of his money was coming from small-dollar donors. When he got more and more known than the elite class, the wine cave class, if you will, they took notice. And they saw that his, his commentary morphed in that brief time frame from like, oh, yeah, let's do Medicare for all. That's when he was getting small dollar donations. Then it became, yeah, well, you know, hey, maybe Medicare for all who want it and Medicare for all is bad. And his rhetoric changed more and more to the point where he was literally using, like, woke intersectional inclusivity arguments to say that we shouldn't reject billionaire money because we want to have these big tents. The donor class took notice. The wine cave class took notice. The elitist said, we got our candidate. We got our candidate. So he went from having 65.2% of his money coming from small-dollar donations when nobody knew him to getting comfy and cozy 
with the elite donors and the corporatists and the special interests. And by the end, or I should say by January, he had his small dollar donor base cut in half. More of his money, way more of his money was coming from, uh, from big donors now. And he was doing stuff like fundraisers and wine caves. So, you know, that says so much about Mayor Pete. See, a guy like Bernie, principled, he believes in this position because he thought it through and he thinks, no, it's wrong. It's wrong to take money from for-profit health insurance companies. It's wrong to take money from Big Pharma. By the way, he got over $100,000 from for-profit health insurance companies in Big Pharma. Mayor Pete did. Um, It's wrong to take money from the military-industrial complex. It's wrong to take money from Wall Street or any special interests, big oil, so on and so forth. So he believes it's wrong. He believes it influences the politicians. So he's like, I'm not going to do it. And he doesn't do it. And he's been in politics since roughly 1872, and he hasn't done it. Bernie takes small-dollar donor money, and then outside of that small-dollar donor money, he has taken some union PAC money, but that's because he agrees with you know, the union philosophy. So that's why he's comfortable taking that money. So in other words, he hasn't rejected all PAC money. He accepts union PAC money. And then the other thing is he accepts support from, like, you know, National Nurses United and groups like the Sunrise Movement and, very, like, grassroots PACs that are very different from the corporate PACs and super PACs. No super PACs, no corporate PACs, small-dollar donations, and a very tight-knit group of issues-based um, groups. So that's Bernie's support, and he takes that money as a, ma- as a matter of principle. He thinks that that's who he wants to represent, so that's who he takes money from. Whereas Mayor Pete, he went from pretending like he was a man of the people to, all right, where's the nearest wine cave? Let's go get some billionaire money. Let's go get some for-profit health insurance company money. Let's go get some Wall Street money. And then I'll go on the debate stage and I'll have the nerve to say, this dude is divisive. I could bring the country together. And how dare you go after billionaires because billionaires are people too. Hashtag billionaire lives matter. Uh, (laughs) uh. Oh, man, Mayor Pete, what are you doing? So anyway, that's what happened with this guy. And unfortunately, this is what happens with a lot of politicians, man. I don't doubt that many of the Democrats who originally get involved in politics, many of them actually go in with good intentions. I don't doubt that when Nancy Pelosi came into politics, she thought, like, I want to make a change for the better. I don't doubt that. But what happens is the system wears you down. And the stuff that you previously thought was bad stuff to do, it actually becomes like the duh position. It becomes the position of like, what do you mean? Everybody does it. And people start feeling like, yeah, I guess that is normal, huh? I guess that's just, that's just how the system works. As Elizabeth Warren says, I'm just a player in the game. By the way, another big story. I didn't have this prep for the show today, but I can explain it right now. Apparently she did this whole big thing. I'm the only one up here not taking super PAC money. By the way, that's BS. Bernie takes no super PAC money. But she was saying, I'm the only one who doesn't take super PAC money. Well, come to find out, a couple days before the Nevada caucus, a super PAC comes up out of nowhere, starts spending millions of dollars to back her. And the reason why it popped up at the last minute is because they were able to avoid disclosing the funders of it because the, the way the rules work, the only way they'd have to disclose the funders of it is if they started functioning a lot earlier. So now we'll know maybe after the caucus who funded the super PAC, but she was asked about accepting a super PAC now and accepting support from it, and she was like, well, no, what do you mean? I'm a woman. Amy Klobuchar is a woman. We're not going to be the only two up here that don't accept you know, help. So why is there a different standard for us women? 
She did it again. She did it again. The Kamala people and the Hillary people that she staffed her campaign with are tanking her. And now she sounds like a total hack hiding behind gender and woke politics uh, in order to push corporatism. So it's, it's, it's too much, man, and it's really disappointing. But this is what happens to all the politicians, man. Even ones who we thought like, oh, okay, well, this one's somewhat principled, like Elizabeth Warren. No, she fell for it too. She went down that path too. Mayor Pete gleefully went down that path. It is super rare. You have people like um, Bernie Sanders. There's only a handful of people who are like, no, it is a matter of principle. I'm not taking that money because it's corrupting and I'm not corrupt. Isn't it a shame? Like, really, guys, the answer is we shouldn't have to, like, we shouldn't have to depend on and rely on, like, legendary, stubborn people who are uber-principled to do the right thing. Let's just change the system so people don't have the option of being corrupt. I mean, that's the real answer. Change the system. Change the way we fund politics. Do something like democracy dollars. Um, get rid of money in politics. Overturn Citizens United. Overturn every case in the Supreme Court. Do a... a a constitutional amendment to ban private money in elections and make it so it's only publicly funded. That's the only way out of this mess, man, because you're only going to have like one out of a hundred people who's really principled enough to actually say, no, I'm not taking money from sources I disagree with. So Mayor Pete, Elizabeth Warren, they've all went down that path and uh, it's really sad to see. All right, next. We are going to talk about Russiagate, Russiagate. We are going to talk about Russiagate, Russiagate. I like how I sing in between every story now. It's not even like a little bit here and there. In between every story, I just morph into a singer. I know, I know my singing sucks, but then every now and then when I catch it, when I hear it afterwards, I'm like, hey, that's actually not too bad. Okay, I know it's bad, but still. As predicted, Russiagate is now uh, coming back around to hurt the left. This is something that uh, a few of us on the left were warning about. You know, um, not many, though. It was kind of lonely. But myself, uh, Glenn Greenwald, Jimmy Dore, Aaron Mate kind of led the charge on this, Max Blumenthal, Rania Kalik. There were, a few, there were a few of us. And I'm sorry if I'm leaving anybody out. I know there's others out there who, who you know, did the same, but... Honestly, it was probably significantly less than half of prominent lefties really stuck their neck out, their neck out, their neck out there. I'm such, I'm so bad at speaking, yet I'm a talk show host. It makes no sense. Anyway, um, there are very few of us who really stuck our neck out, <laughs> stuck our neck out. I'm still laughing at that. That reminds me of the song "Nuck If You Buck." Remember that? <laughs> How the hell did I get to talking about the rap song "Nuck If You Buck"? But look that up while you're at it. Anyway, uh, so very few of us stuck our neck out there. Tough to say. Um, and it's all coming back around, man. This is—I don't want to say the chicken's coming home to roost because it feels wrong, but this kinda is that. So look at this. Um, Bernie Sanders is told that Russia is trying to help his campaign. Okay, um, but they're not. <laughs> like, they're not doing that. That's not a thing that's happening. They have their own problems. They're dealing with it. Russia is not like, mm, yes, let me support candidate who wants to give everybody in America health care. <laughs> that's not happening. Who believes 
this shit. Okay, anyway. So he was briefed about it. Now, I have to say, even though Bernie has, like, fed in a little bit to the whole Russiagate thing, I feel like his response to this non-scandal scandal was kind of clever. Because what he did is, I really like this, it's a jujitsu move. <laughs> he was like, he said, well, hey, listen, you know, I'm against any interference in our elections. And if I'm president, I am protecting our elections for sure. I'm making it a priority. And also, let me say, you know how everybody was talking about those really mean Bernie bros online? Well, you know, I can't say I told you so, but I kind of told you so. I don't think they were real supporters of ours. I think it was Russia. Oh, you clever son of a bitch. (laughs) That was good. All right, that's good. So listen, guys, I just want to say this, because there are other friends of mine on the left are going to be very critical of Bernie for even feeding into the Russia thing a little bit. Uh, And they're right on the substance. Like, yes, Bernie was wrong to feed into it because their Russia game was nonsense. This was a political strategy. A lot of us may be playing checkers, and he's playing chess. So let me be clear. I don't think he believes any of the stuff about Russia. I don't. I don't think that he thinks Trump is a frickin' Manchurian candidate or any other nonsense that people like Hillary seem to genuinely believe. Um, but what he just did there was a little bit of political genius. So he took an issue that they were bashing him over the head with relentlessly, and then he took another issue that they were trying to use to bash him over the head relentlessly with, and he used the new issue to nullify... The old issue. Come on, Bernie. Come on, man. That was amazing. <laughs> I'm seriously in awe of how clever that was. Hey, hey, you guys were talking about the Bernie bros. Well, you know, I kind of agree with you. There was a problem. But I don't think it was real supporters of mine. You guys say Russia's trying to help me. Yeah, those were the Bernie bros. All those mean people online who I'm disavowing, they're not actually supporters of mine. It's Russian bots. What do you want me to tell you? Damn, that was smart. Okay, so I like that. Um, now... At the same time, don't get it twisted. Um, The whole point of Russiagate is the establishment trying to delegitimize anybody it doesn't like. And the establishment did not like Donald Trump because Donald Trump was on the campaign trail talking about, hey, we need to end the wars. We need to rebuild our own country. We need to stop, you know, nation building over there. He was talking about some populist economic stuff and being against the trade deals. And it really threw a wrench in the status quo. And they thought, if he actually does that, you know, we're totally against him. But, of course, in in office, he ended up, you know, largely serving the establishment. So they didn't, like, even though there are elements of the deep state that hate him, now they only hate him for cultural reasons. And, like, oh, the mean tweets we don't like, and he's not presidential. Whereas before, they thought, well, maybe, you know, he's actually going to change stuff, and they're against that. With Bernie... They really don't like him because they know he's really going to change stuff. So the same playbook they used against Trump, they're going to use against Bernie with Russiagate. And um, it's funny because Trump kind of came out in favor of Bernie on this because he was like, um, so my intelligence agencies are the ones who, sa- who just came out and said, oh, Russia's helping Bernie. Nobody told me that. Nobody said anything to me. I'm the president. I, these are my intelligence agencies. Nobody told me that. So in a weird way, that was him kind of being like, they're doing the same thing to him that they did to me, which low-key, all right, that's what's up. Thank you, Trump. For And Trump's been doing this a lot recently. He'll go out there and he'll, he'll like, he'll side with Bernie over the Democratic establishment and he'll say like, oh, they're trying to screw Bernie, they're trying to screw Bernie, they're trying to screw Bernie. But I will say this, 
that's not just Trump, like, calling balls and strikes as he sees it. This is also Trump doing his own Pied Piper strategy, because he's been told a thousand times Bernie's probably the weaker candidate to go up against. So now he's acting like, oh, that's the one I'm really scared of. Now, they miscalculated in the same way Hillary miscalculated about Trump. Hillary was trying to boost up Trump because she thought there's no way I could lose to Trump, and then Trump beat her. Trump is trying to boost up Bernie because he probably thinks I'm more likely to beat him than anybody else, and Bernie's going to win, or Bernie is the toughest competition to Trump, at the very least, I should say. So I don't know exactly why he's doing it. Part of me thinks Trump's just like, he just has no filter, and he's just saying whatever, and like, so when he sees something, like they're trying to use Rush against Bernie now, he's like, they did that to me, that's nonsense, and he's just being honest. But then the other part of me is like, no, he's trying to, you know, kind of do a little bit of the, of the Pied Piper strategy himself and say, like, let me keep trying to side with him to boost him up so that I run against him and Trump thinks he can beat him. So I don't know. We'll see. Um, but the final point I want to make in this story, and I think this is really important, is one of the reasons why we know this is BS, apart from the obvious, which is, and you guys can go back and see all of my Russiagate coverage. I meticulously debunked all the nonsense they threw out there. And a lot of it was just really, like, they, weren't, they were barely trying. They were trying to put together a narrative that made no, less than no sense. Trump kept being more and more hawkish with Russia as they're saying he's a Manchurian candidate and he's Putin's puppet. And I'm just holding up what he's doing versus what they're saying about him. And I'm going, these don't match. You're saying he's, you know, subservient to this guy, but he keeps, escalating with him militarily and putting more NATO troops on his border and didn't approve a, an oil and gas deal and is sanctioning them and this and that. So it doesn't matter. There is, there's no evidence that he's actually under this dude's thumb. But apart from the details, here's another reason I know it's BS, because they've tried this a million times in American history. This is what the deep state does. They try to disqualify people and discount people with nonsense accusations like this. So look at this. What do we have? Why Russian officials tried to help John F. Kennedy win the presidency. Aides say Carter is courted by Russians. Why Putin wants Obama to win. And then the article we just saw, Sanders told Russia is trying to help his campaign. You see what they do? You see what they do? Again, it's not a partisan thing. A bunch of times they went after Democrats, um, but they also did this with Trump because they thought he might change stuff too. So... I just, guys, I'm going to beg everybody out there, don't accept anything with no evidence, especially from our, the same people who lied to us about the Iraq war, the idea that they're these like arbiters of truth um, on other issues. Please, please take it with a grain of salt. Do not be like Rachel Maddow, because in all seriousness, Rachel Maddow at this point is just the Alex Jones of the left. All right, let me take a sip of my hashtag Big Seltzer, and then I got to go back to MSNBC. So MSNBC made a point that I have to respond to because it's going to clarify a lot of confusion going on right now about winning elections. So... Here's MSNBC. They're asking if Bernie needs the Democratic establishment to win. Check it out. 
To, to this revolution, uh, the time that you both of you ladies are talking about, Don, let's look at what Bernie Sanders tweeted on Friday, and he wrote, I've got news for the Republican establishment. I've got news for the Democratic establishment. They can't stop us. So this whole anti-establishment strategy uh, is proven fruitful because Sanders has gained supporters here, but when it comes time to win the election, will he need the so-called Democratic establishment? Of course he will, and he's going to have to have the support of Democrats writ large who just decide to do the pragmatic thing and vote for the Democrat or even just hold their nose and vote to get Trump up out of there, which is ultimately all of our goals. Yeah, so here's why this is wrong. The Democratic establishment, those are the elites. Those are the corporatists. Those are the leaders. And nobody likes them. They're a paper tiger. That's what they are. So people keep conflating two things. They keep conflating the Democratic establishment and Democratic moderates, Democratic moderate voters. Totally different things. So here's a fact that we just learned, and it's very similar to a 2016 fact. In the Nevada caucus, Bernie Sanders one among self-described conservatives and moderates. Now, again, you're going, that makes no sense because he's on the left. There were other more moderate candidates. How could a moderate vote for a non-moderate when they had the option of a moderate? And the answer is people don't know labels. They call themselves whatever they're comfortable with calling themselves. But then when it comes to the specific policy positions they support and the candidates they support, that might not align with their view of themselves at all. So you got all these people out there who are like, you know, flaming leftists who say, I'm a pretty moderate person, or I'm, even I'm conservative. So here's the thing, guys, and this is what Bernie Sanders' campaign is all about. Bernie Sanders is trying to get every single voter that he could possibly get. There's a tiny group of people we call the TFGs on this show, the Too Far Gones, and nobody who's a Democrat is ever going to get those people. They're just totally drunk on Sean Hannity or Rush Limbaugh or Steven Crowder or whatever, and they think Democrats are the root of all evil, and they're just too far gone. There's no getting through to them. There's no getting through to them. And by the way, I wouldn't even put like all people who consume right-wing media in that category, because some are savable. But there will always be a small number that aren't savable. Okay? Gone. But Bernie Sanders, the campaign, and even the message of this show, and I try to make this clear to everybody, one of my biggest points of pride is deconverting people. Their goal is to get anybody who is gettable. So what does that mean? If you're a, a Trump voter from 2016, do I think you're a bad person and a racist and a bigot by definition? Of course I don't. Of course I don't, because there's a million different reasons you could have supported Trump. You could have liked his anti-war talk and thought he was more serious about it than any, anything Hillary did, because Hillary's a known hawk. You could have liked his populist stuff on economics. You know, it's not like you definite, you supported him because of he wanted nationwide stop and frisk and because he said the stuff about the Muslim ban or called, uh, you know, uh, Mexicans criminals and rapists. And I assume some are good people. So there's a million reasons to support him. I don't think you are by definition a bad person if you supported him, especially because there are plenty of two times former Obama voters who flipped to Trump. If you want to say, like, uh, they're irredeemable deplorables, put them in the basket of deplorables and don't talk about them, well, then congratulations on never winning again because that's what's going to happen. You want people to get to your side. It's why, it's why it's always funny when people attack candidates who get crossover appeal. 
Like, oh, wow. So you're against them trying to win? Is that what you're against? So here's who I want in the coalition. Here's who Bernie wants in the coalition. I want the Democratic base. I want that multiracial, multigenerational coalition of working class people. I want that Democratic base. I want people who are with us on the social issues. I want, uh, I want the hardcore lefties. I want the independents. I want the moderates. I want the self-described conservatives who want to come into the fray. I want the former Republicans. I want the current Republicans. I want... I want everybody you can name except the TFGs who there's no hope for. If they want to change their mind, hey, by all means, you sign up for our agenda and we're with you. We're not going to sign up for your agenda, but here's what we stand for. If you get swayed by that, welcome in. So we want every single person we could get, and that's what they're doing. They're getting those people, which is why they won, which is why they hold the Democratic base, and they bring in new voters and independents, and they get the crossover people from the right. So we want all the voters. But the Democratic establishment, they are the TFGs as well. So one contingent of TFGs is, like I said, the people who are totally drunk on the far-right media. Fine, fair enough. But another contingent of TFGs are the Democratic establishment. And the reason for them being TFGs is different. The reason for them being TFGs is corruption. Some of them are actually ideologically neoliberal. You know, they actually believe in that philosophy. But I think most of them are just they're just corrupted and beat down by the system. And so they think, what do you mean? Business as usual is business as usual. We're never going to change it. So the Democratic establishment, they're deep, committed corporatists. And you know who doesn't like Bernie Sanders and who Bernie Sanders doesn't like right back? Some corrupt corporatists. Some establishment neoliberals. So my main point here is we're going after all the voters who are gettable, all of them. We're not ruling you out. There's so few people who we actually rule out. Like, yes, frothing at the mouth of racists are not going to support Bernie Sanders. Got it, got it, got it. But, like, everybody who's gettable, we're trying to get when it comes to the voters. But this idea that, oh, he needs the Democratic establishment. Nobody needs the establishment. Nobody, nobody likes the establishment. Nobody needs the establishment. They're a paper tiger propped up by money from Wall Street, propped up by money from the military-industrial complex, propped up by money from the for-profit health insurance companies and big pharma. They're a complete paper tiger. So no, I don't need Neera Tandon. No, I don't need, you know, the dinosaurs who've been in democratic politics forever and have gotten Dickie McGee's acts accomplished. I'm not interested in them. So we don't need the establishment, guys. We just don't. And I think that's a really important point. And that's not a point that's made enough. Like here, MSNBC is saying, oh, he's going to need the establishment. No, he doesn't. In order to win, you need to make clear the establishment is your enemy, and that's what he's doing. The Republican establishment, the Democratic establishment, you are my enemy. The Republican voter, the Democratic voter, the non-voter, the independent, the apathetic, you're not my enemy. I want you on my side, and we're going to do everything we can to earn your vote. So, guys, don't, don't conflate the two things. Don't throw out there, oh, Democratic centrists or moderates or conservatives. Don't say that and think that that also includes the establishment. The establishment is its own thing. You refer to the establishment as establishment or elitists or corporatists. Those are the people we're never going to get, and we don't want because we don't like them either. They disagree with us. What are we going to do? But everybody else who we can get to come to our agenda who are voters, I don't care whether they're centrist, moderate, whatever you describe yourself as, I don't care. 
Come join. Come join, baby. Let's do this thing. Because what this movement is about at the end of the day is improving lives, fixing the country, improving lives. We want to help fix your life. Medicare for all. Healthcare free at the point of service. You save money overall. You get rid of all the private taxes, raise the public taxes, but the raising of public taxes is a lot less than what you're paying right now for private taxes. It saves you money. It's a tax cut. Medicare for all, free college, living wage, end the wars, Green New Deal, um, end the drug war, abolish student loan debt, abolish medical debt, free all the nonviolent drug offenders. Now, Bernie just today released an awesome free child care plan. And before you go, attacks on billionaires. Next question. Free child care. Other developed countries have free child care. Again, this is just Bernie saying, let's catch up to the rest of the developed world. That's it. That's all he's saying. Let's go, man. Let's win this thing. We don't need the establishment. We need the people. And we're going to get the people. We're going to earn their vote. We're going to win this thing. And it's going to be glorious. All right, next. This next story is so, so, so sad. It's so pathetic. And as a result of it being just that pathetic, I enjoy it. (laughs) I love this story. Oh, my God. It's just, it says so much. So Mike Bloomberg launched an anti-Trump ad campaign. And he put up some billboards. Now, I'm not sure if all these billboards are in Phoenix, but many of them are in Phoenix. And he did it. He put it there right before a Trump rally that happened in Phoenix. Okay. Um, So let's look at the billboards and see what they had to say. The first one says, Donald Trump eats burnt steak. Mike likes his medium rare. Then we have Donald Trump's wall fell over. And then finally, Donald Trump cheats at golf. Mike Bloomberg doesn't. Bro, come on, man. Come on, bro. (laughs) Okay, so let me explain what's going on here. This is Mike Bloomberg trying to beat Trump at his own game. One of the things Trump is masterful at is trolling. I mean, listen, whether you like him or dislike him, irrelevant. The dude is a master troll. I mean, every freaking tweet, every little side jab at one of his rallies, he's good at it, man. He's so good at it that even people who hate him like me, I can't help but laugh. I literally, if I see that he tweeted something, I will stop and read it guaranteed because it's always entertaining. Now, you could say, oh, it's not presidential. Oh, my God, he's a crazy person. Oh, my God, look at the horrible things he's done in office and the policies that are terrible. I agree with all that. But he's also kind of really funny on Twitter, and his rallies are kind of hilarious. And when he takes shots at people, sometimes they're so ridiculous. But there's something that's likable about it because of that. Um, So he's just good at that. He's just good at playing the Trump game. Trump is the master of the Trump game. Now, What happens when you try to play the Trump game? You're going to lose. It's his game. (laughs) So here, I'll give an example of this. Elizabeth Warren, when she decided, I took a DNA test. I'm going to release it. 
see, I'm Native American. And all the headlines were like, Elizabeth Warren shows Native American ancestry. Elizabeth Warren proves that Trump is wrong. It all said stuff like that. Well, when you read into the specifics, it turns out she, the amount of Native American she is is so infinitesimally small. It's such a tiny fraction that the narrative then changed to that she's not really right. Like, no. <laughs> she used to say it was like, you know, somebody not too far back in the past. And so that would make her a very large percentage Native American. And she wasn't that. And the whole time that she did this, Trump is just laughing away laughing away, and it's like, I baited you into making a fool of yourself. Congratulations. You can't beat me at my game. This is what I do. There's a weird thing with Trump. It's kind of like the South Park effect. So with South Park, when it first came out, there were a few instances of, like, outrage over something they said or did or had in the cartoon. And then after so many times where they tried to be outraged, eventually it got to a point where everybody was like, you know what? Let's just grandfather in South Park. So when it, now when they do something outrageous, it's like, well, it's South Park. They can get away with it. They're, it's South Park. There's like a special exemption for them where they get to do stuff that other people wouldn't be able to do and get away with. It, because they don't care about your outrage. It's so irrelevant to them. And they're just making something they want to make. And people tried the outrage for so long to stop them or take them down. And it didn't work. So after a while, everybody was just like, eh, it's South Park. Trump is the same thing. And they tried so many times, oh, my God, I'm so offended, I'm so outraged. Look at what he said. He said these things that are wrong or terrible and mean and this and that. And then eventually it got to the point where people were, like, more annoyed at the people getting mad at Trump than they were at Trump. And that makes sense. That's understandable. That's reasonable because they really are grating on the nerves and they're not really serious people. It's not like they're outraged at the things he says and then also they talk about his policy. No, they never talk about his policy. They would just get mad at his tweets. And it's like you're kind of just as annoying as you're way more annoying than him, actually, in many respects. So for Elizabeth Warren to try to fight him at his own game and lose, it's like, what did you expect would happen? Well, now Mike Bloomberg's trying it, and he's even worse at it than Elizabeth Warren was. What is that? Nobody on earth is going to read that and go, oh, yeah, I'm for the person who put up that billboard. And I'm imagining it in Bloomberg's boring-ass voice, too. Donald Trump eats burnt steak. Mike likes his medium rare. Donald Trump's wall fell over. Donald Trump cheats at golf. Mike Bloomberg doesn't. Not a single person read those billboards and were like, ha, 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 yes, yes. Nobody liked that. But people read Trump's tweets all the time, and they like it. You're not going to beat him at his own game. Now, here's the problem for Mike Bloomberg, because he has a conundrum. What is he going to do? What are you going to do, Mike? What are you going to do? Are you going to try to take Trump on on policy? Your policies suck, too. Your policies don't give people Dickie McGee's acts. Nothing. People get nothing out of, you know, your policy agenda. We've gone through it a million times. I don't want to go through it again. But, you know, just the blocking the minimum wage increase alone in New York. I'm done. Freaking not allowing, um, you know, businesses to feed homeless people. Used to be the case you could donate food to the homeless. He blocked that. Why? Why? Because he's a prick. That's why. Banning big gulps. You know, saying... Uh, legal marijuana is the stupidest thing anybody's ever done. You can't take him on on policy. Trump would outlet Bloomberg on criminal justice. He's already doing. He's, he's tweeting about the first step act and how great it is in showing videos of people being released from prison in the Super Bowl ad with Alice Johnson being freed, bragging about something that it makes sense to brag about. What's this guy going to do? What's this schmuck going to do? Nothing. He's going to do Dickie McGee's act. 
So since he has nowhere to go to go after Trump, he tries this. Donald Trump likes burnt steak. Did I pwn him? Is he wrecked? Gotcha. Gotcha, Don. Oh, my God. Imagine a debate between Bloomberg and Trump. Bloomberg is so unelectable, so immensely unelectable. Oh, my God. Bloomberg would try to hit him with, like, a thesis on something, and Trump would just be like, how's it going over there, Mike? You look a little mini at the moment. Did they give you a box to stand on? And then everybody would lose it, and they'd go crazy. And um, my buddy also refers to to Bloomberg as booster seat Bloomberg. (laughs) I hope Trump throws that out there. Mini Mike's good, but I like booster seat Bloomberg, too. He's out there a curveball at you every now and then. Um, But, dude, you're not going to beat Trump at his own game. This is really sad. And this is what a campaign looks like that can't run on issues. He can't run on policies. He's not for any of the wildly popular policies. Can't do it. So this is, this is all he has is to try to beat Trump at his own game. And Trump is a master. You're never going to win that game. But you know what? I shouldn't be complaining. I should be enjoying this because um, he's becoming more and more irrelevant by the day. After that last debate fail Bloomberg had, his favorability dropped like 20 or 30 points. It was like a record drop. His overall support only dropped three points but his favorability dropped 20 to 30 points. So is this dude going to actually turn people out to vote for him? No chance. There's no way. So thank you, Mike, for just taking more votes from Biden and Buttigieg and uh, clearing that path even more for Bernie and making a fool of yourself in the process. Next. This clip that you're about to see is, um, you know, it's incredible to me because Rush Limbaugh was one of the most relentless pro-war propagandists when it came to Iraq. You know, during the time when I was just getting involved in politics and I was having my own political awakening and I was getting really into it, one of the things I remember as clear as day, like it happened yesterday, is listening to Rush Limbaugh rant endlessly about how the war in Iraq is the right thing to do, it's the just thing to do, it's the moral thing to do, Bush is right, and the Democrats who are against it are not only wrong, but they're anti-American, and they hate the country, and they're unpatriotic, and they want us to fail, and all this stuff. He's just a rank propagandist. Well, now, now, Rush Limbaugh is going to kind of pretend like he was against it all along. There are weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Let's go back to the Iraq War 2003. George W. Bush spends a year and a half traveling the country, preparing everybody, lobbying the American people to support it. Goes to the United Nations, has satellite photos, all kinds of stuff. Colin Powell up there showing the photos, supposedly, of weapons of mass destruction installations in Iraq. Uh, Saddam Hussein and the European our allies in the intelligence community all support this. Now, Bush, as a Republican, probably not popular with the deep state, particularly after how he was elected, 
ago, there was outrage. The Florida recount in 2000, a lot of Democrats, a lot of deep staters think that Gore should have been president. He won the popular vote. They think the Supreme Court unfairly put Bush in there. I think there was as much resentment in the deep state, we just didn't call it that then, for George W. Bush as there is today for Donald Trump. And it's not the same, it's close. I think, how could so many different intelligence agencies get something so wrong as weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. And remember, they gave Bush mounds of satellite photo evidence, documentation evidence. Colin Powell was dispatched to the United Nations to present this evidence. It was all bogus because we went in there. It was the pretext for invading Iraq after 9-11. We get in there and there are no weapons of mass destruction. It was one of the most embarrassing things. The Bush administration had to scramble. Everybody had to scramble. What I have seen, this bunch of people in the intelligence community capable, what they've tried with Trump here, this whole Russia meddling, Trump colluding, this whole thing is a gigantic lie, a totally bogus hoax, a silent coup. That's when I began to think the weapons of mass destruction thing was a setup against Bush, too. My point is this. Why should we believe these people? Okay, I don't even know where to begin with this. So, I mean, listen, yeah, Russiagate was BS. Russiagate pushed by the intelligence agencies. Nonsense. I knew that. There are many people on the left um, who I cited in the earlier segment who believe that as well. And we argued for that relentlessly. But these are all people, by and large, who were also skeptical of the lies about Iraq. You were not. You were not. So look at, look at what he does to try to take responsibility away from the Republicans. What does he do? He says Bush was basically duped into Iraq. And, you know, in other words, like he didn't, he didn't want to do it. He was kind of, his hand was forced into doing it. And then we learned later on, like, oh, it was based on lies or whatever. But no, even after that was exposed, that it was based on lies, we stayed there. So if there was like, oh, sorry, I tripped and fell and I was forced, my hand was forced, I had to go into Iraq. Okay, well then the second we learned, hold on now, Saddam Hussein had nothing to do with 9-11 and wasn't connected to Osama bin Laden. What are we talking about here? And there are no weapons of mass destruction either. And he's not about to attack us or anything like that. Wouldn't he have, oh my God, okay, my bad. Anyway, bring the troops home, bring the troops home, bring the troops home. They didn't do that. Why didn't they do that? Because, Rush, they are the deep state. They are the deep state. Okay, guys, he says, oh, you know, um, I don't think Bush was popular with the deep state because of how he got elected. So in other words, he's trying to say, like, really, it's Democrats in the deep state who run everything. Bush's dad was the CIA director. (laughs) That's the definition of deep state. H.W. Bush was CIA director and then president. Guys, they are the insiders. They are the neocons. They are the deep state. What are you talking about? This was their plan all along. Donald Rumsfeld, Bill Kristol, Paul Wolfowitz, the neocon project for a new American century. Now, if you want to make the argument Cheney was more steering the ship than Bush, that's fair. But Bush was still a willing participant. He's trying to say, oh, it's all the deep state's fault. The deep state are just, you know, a bunch of Democrats. The Republicans are the outsiders and the anti-establishment people. Rush, we just saw the story the other day. They're trying to argue now that um, uh, Bernie Sanders is being helped by Russia, too. 
oh, so much for that. Oh, they're all just Democrats in the deep state doing their thing. Listen, he's such a partisan hack. I can't, it's, you can't wrap your mind around the degree to which he's a partisan hack. Everything is just Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Republican, Republican, good, Democrat, bad. He spent the entire Bush era defending everything Bush did, Guantanamo Bay, torture, Abu Ghraib, you know, you name it. All of the countless civilian casualties. This guy was the most relentless pro-war propagandist, accusing Americans who were against it of being, you know, um, anti-American, unpatriotic, and all that stuff. And now, casually, how many years later, frickin' 17 years later, he's like, oh yeah, it was uh, based on lies. By the way, this is the first time he's ever admitted that or said that. Like, oh, it was based on lies, it's not true. Even when Trump was running in 2015 and 2016, and Trump was saying on the debate stage that the Iraq war was a sham and it was nonsense, we should have never gone in the first place, Rush Limbaugh was not backing Trump when he was saying that. Rush Limbaugh, for the longest time, withheld jumping on the Trump train. He was more... He never endorsed anybody, but he was definitely more sympathetic to, like, Ted Cruz and that wing of the party than he was to Trump. So he never, he was always the biggest proponent of the Iraq war, one of the biggest propagandists for the Iraq war. And now, casually, he's like, uh, yeah, it was a deep state plot, and it was the Democrats who were pushing it relentlessly. It was you who was pushing it relentlessly. It was Bush who was doing it relentlessly. It was Cheney who was doing it relentlessly. It was the neocon deep state administration. The entire administration was the deep state. They were one and the same. Them and the deep state are the same thing. But now that he thinks he could spin it to say Democrat bad, Democrat in control, he ties in Russiagate and says, like, oh, they were lying about Russiagate, so why should we trust these people? They also lied about the Iraq war. Right, along with you <laughs> and the entire administration. He, does, he refuses to admit that there's also a Republican establishment that makes up the deep state. He refuses to admit that. He doesn't understand or care that really this is about elites versus everybody else. To him, he always sees in partisan terms. Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Republican, Republican, always good, Democrat, always bad. That's why I defended everything George W. Bush did every step of the way. And when Trump says the opposite, I'll defend that too. Even though it's a logical contradiction, it doesn't matter because I don't care about contradictions. My job is to be a propagandist, and that's what I'm doing out here. So um, really a sycophant, man. Listen, he is like a textbook definition of an authoritarian. Why do I say that? Because whoever his Republican leader is, he just plays defense. That's it. Every, like, oh, if Bush is in office, everything Bush does is right. Everything the Democrats agree, everything the Democrats disagree with them on, they're wrong. Now that it's Trump, everything Trump does is right. Anything the Democrats disagree with them on, they're wrong. And the details literally just don't matter. They don't matter at all. And now to have him casually admit, like, oh, yeah, the people. So wait a second, Rush, are you saying I mean, this is the logical implication of what you're saying, but he would never actually say this part. You just said the Iraq war was based on lies. You spent fucking 15 years saying it wasn't, and anybody who says that is unpatriotic. So are you now saying on the record the Democrats are correct about that and we're correct about that every step of the way? If you pose that question to him, there's no way he'd give a direct answer and say, yes, that's what I'm saying. No way. No way. Because, again, his show is all it is is Republican propaganda. He's, to try to say Bush... Like, oh, he was just being controlled by a Democratic deep state. That takes away all agency from everything the Bush administration did. No, it was Bush, it was Cheney, it was Rumsfeld, it was Wolfowitz, it was Bill Kristol, it was everybody in that administration, and they are the deep state. And that's why now you see the same deep state that, you know, hates Trump for cultural reasons now, because he's doing what they want, but they hate him for cultural reasons now. 
they're going to hate Bernie Sanders way more because Bernie's actually going to change stuff. All right, next. If you thought that was bad, it gets even worse because we're going to go to Mark Levin, and Mark Levin is uh, one of the worst ever. Mark Levin is uh, a right-wing host who regularly appears on Fox News and the Blaze Network, which is what is or was Glenn Beck's network. I don't know if they did any you know sale to somebody else because they were really struggling financially, but... Um, Levin had what can only be described as a deranged meltdown on air over Bernie. Watch this. I'm telling you the truth. And the kind of people Bernie Sanders is pulling around him could come out of the third rise. That's right, I said it. The way these people talk and the things that they say. Somebody has to have the guts to point it out. Somebody has to have the guts to speak out. Even though I'm condemned left and right, too damn fast. People always say, why didn't anyone say anything? Well, I'm saying it. The man leading the Democrat Party right now is embracing an Islamo-Nazi mentality when it comes to the Jewish state. He hates America. Every proposal he has is not merely to fundamentally transform one institution or another. It's to burn them down to the ground. That's Marx. That's Engels. That's Hegel, and that's Alinsky, and it's Bernie Sanders. I'll say it. Yeah, uh, seek help, dude. Seek help. So let's go through this. You know, one of the things I always notice about these right-wing charlatans is it's like they're actively trying to avoid logic (laughs) because he's not even settling on one monster historically and saying this is who bernie's like he just throws everybody out there who he thinks is a is you know a monster it's marx it's angles it's saul alinsky it's the nazis so he's you know he's a communist fascist it doesn't matter that those ideologies are not the same and in fact in many ways they're massively contradictory I don't care. He's both of them because I think both of them are bad. So I'm just going to throw both of them out there and hope one of them sticks. But you have to pick one. You can't, like, you can't say that. That doesn't make any sense. That's like saying he's both you know, red and uh, green. What do you mean? How could he be red and green? That makes no sense. Is he red or green? No, he's both of those things. I don't, it, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around the fact that, like, he didn't even bother to stop to think through his smears. You have to actually think through your smears. That's a very important thing to do. <laughs> you can't just throw all of the smears out there because some of them contradict each other. Um, I also just love the fact, I mean, listen, man, here we are talking about a candidate 
who just wants to catch up to the rest of the developed world. He just wants people to have health care and education. So if you want everybody to have health care, you want everybody to have education, you want everybody to have a decent wage, you want to end the wars, how on earth can you say that this, <laughs> this is like evil Nazi stuff? <laughs> He's just trying to help people. And he says, oh, he hates America. By the way, I always love that. You know, oh, it can't just be that I disagree with him and he disagrees with me. No, he has to hate America because you have no substantive criticism. So you immediately impugn motives. You can't just say I disagree on the policy. It's, you got to impugn the motives. He's got to be evil, not just a disagreement. He's evil. He hates America and he wants to burn down our institutions. There's a rich history in the United States of America of social democracy. There just is. Martin Luther King, perfect example. FDR, another example, aspects of Lyndon Johnson, although not the whole legacy, clearly. Same thing, it's only aspects of FDR. Uh, Eugene Debs, the union movement. Um, there, like, there's a rich history of social democracy in the U.S. And he just ignores all of that and says, no, Bernie wants to burn down all the institutions. Maybe the bad ones, maybe he wants to burn down the bad ones metaphorically, <laughs> which makes perfect sense. You should do that. Most of them, he actually is at his heart a reformer. He really is a reformer. He wants to make things better without, you know, a literal revolution. He wants a political revolution, which means let's get all these new people involved in the process and let's change the system and let's make it work for the people. That's what that means. Um, then I, I like when he says, he screams, somebody has to have the guts to say it about Bernie and his team. And it's like, dude, just because you're screaming – and just because you're saying something that's outrageous doesn't mean it's true. Like, this is a new thing that, you know, kind of popped up on the right within the past five years where everybody's trying to, like, out-edge each other. I'm more edgy. No, I'm more edgy. No, I'm going to say this thing, which is wild and wacky. It's, it's, all, it's the Milo Yiannopoulos thing. He was, like, one of the godfathers of this whole thing of, like, what if I just say the most outrageous thing I could possibly say and then spin it as being brave? But here's the thing, man. It's only brave if the thing you're saying is true, and it's a truth that you know, you're not really allowed to utter in polite society. And this, this isn't that. Like, you're just wrong. So you're screaming something and pretending you're brave, but in reality you're wrong about what you're saying, which makes you an idiot and an aggressive idiot. <laughs> like, that's what that is. Because you're comparing somebody who would be the first Jewish president of the United States of America you're comparing him to the Third Reich and his entire, um, you know, campaign. And he says he's embracing a, quote, Islamo-Nazi mentality about Israel. Last night, Bernie was, or yesterday, Bernie was tweeting about the issue of Israel-Palestine because of APAC. And he says, people who live in Israel deserve to live in peace and dignity and security. And... So do Palestinians. Palestinians deserve peace and security and dignity. Okay, you're trying to say that that dude sounds like freaking Hitler. Sounds like the Third Reich is in, is, has an Islamo-Nazi mentality. I'm sure he would say, no, I mean like Ilhan Omar, who publicly supports Bernie. Uh, Ilhan Omar, all she said, which people are trying to say is anti-Semitic, but you have to be a moron to think that's actually anti-Semitic. She said, hey... Uh, APAC is Israeli money that controls U.S. policy. In the same way that so the Saudi lobby controls U.S. policy, our politicians are bought by Saudi Arabia and they do their bidding. They're also bought by Israel and they do their bidding. That's true. 
That's just standard corruption bribery that happens in our political process, and that's the point she was making. But they're trying to say, like, no, 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 that's anti-Semitic because you're using the old trope of, like, you know, Jews and their money. They're never going to be fair in their criticism. They're going to go immediately hyperbolic, and they're going to immediately smear you, and that's what happens. And if you dare to criticize money in politics, if you dare to say, hey, treat Palestinians with equal dignity as you treat Israelis, all of a sudden your uh, administration or your campaign is like the Third Reich and you're embracing an Islamo-Nazi mentality over Israel. Who listens to this stuff and goes, nailed it, Mark. You really nailed it when you were screaming for no reason and you were calling the first person who would be the first Jewish president a Nazi. Really well done, man. He's like Engels and Marx. He's a communist, fascist, Islamist, fill in the blank with any other bad word you can come up with. And he hates America, of course. Maybe, just maybe, you're a hyperbolic moron and you have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Okay. Next. Social media is in for some more changes, and um, I don't think they're good. So this is from NBC News. They say, Twitter is experimenting with adding brightly colored labels directly beneath lies and misinformation posted by politicians and other public figures, according to a leaked demo of new features sent to NBC News. Twitter confirmed that the leaked demo, which was accessible on a publicly available site, is one possible iteration of a new policy to target misinformation. The company does not have a date to roll out any new misinformation features. In this new version, disinformation or misleading information posted by public figures would be corrected directly beneath a tweet by fact checkers and journalists who are verified on the platform and possibly by other users who would participate in a new community reports feature, which the demo claims is, quote, like Wikipedia. All right, listen, here we go again. Let me explain to you guys why this is a terrible idea. Now, it's not that it's a terrible idea because, oh, there's no misinformation or false stuff that goes around on social media. To the contrary, of course there, there are terrible, false things that go around social media. Duh, that happens with any social media site. That happens in any kind of public forum. If you walk into a restaurant at, uh, at 8 o'clock at night and you listen in on all the conversations happening at all the different tables, there's going to be a bunch of misinformation spread in there because human beings are human beings. Um, so it's not that this is bad because, you know, everything said on social media is okay. No. It's bad for a very basic structural reason. Namely, why the hell should I trust the people that you determined are good fact-checkers? Why should I trust them? Why should I trust the fact-checkers, and then who will fact-check the fact-checkers? And then you guys said right there, oh, we're going to have a community reports feature as well. How do we know the community can't be equally wrong to whatever the hell they're trying to fix or trying to fact-check? Guys, I, I need to make this point again because I think it really just obliterates this whole movement here. 
If you said in 2003, Iraq does not have weapons of mass destruction. Saddam Hussein has no connections to Osama bin Laden. The war in Iraq is nonsense. You would have been called wrong. If Twitter existed in 2003 and this feature existed in 2003, and you tweeted something like, Osama bin Laden has no connections to Saddam Hussein, Saddam Hussein is not a threat to us, and he has no weapons of mass destruction. They would have said in a bright color underneath, like, oh, this is, this is wrong, and here's a source that discredits it. But it turns out that that's correct. If you say, oh, Kyle, I don't want to go that far back. Come on, that's a bad example. Okay, well, in 2016, when WikiLeaks released the information on Hillary Clinton and the DNC, and we learned that basically the primary was rigged, and there's a million facts about that. You know, like, for example, the Hillary campaign had veto power on any uh, press release from the DNC. There literally was a fundraising agreement between the two of them. They raised money acting like we're raising it for down-ballot races, and then she kept it all for her campaign. There's a million things that they did. Her getting, you know, stuff um, from Donna Brazil before the debates, knowing the questions in advance. Like, we learned all of this stuff. And if you tweeted about it, if you said something about it, if you gave a specific example of it, there's a very good chance right underneath your tweet, according to this system, they would say, no, this is a disinformation campaign, so discard all this stuff. Why? Because their argument would be, hey, we think this came from Russia. We think the source of this was Russia, so therefore it's election interference, so therefore you're not allowed to talk about it. But what if it's true? What if it actually happened? You know, we got some of, we learned some of what her speeches were behind closed doors to financial elites. And what was she saying? She literally argued like, oh, there's a real sense of bigotry in the country against rich people these days. And that's a real shame. Oh, we should have totally free and open trade borders. All that stuff is important to know if a presidential candidate is running. That this is what they think. There's bigotry against the rich. That's what they think. They think we need to do NAFTA and TPP on steroids and have totally free and open trade borders. Namely, hey, wild, wild west of outsourcing. Ship out all the jobs if you want to. Yay! This is stuff she said. And if you tweeted about it, you spoke about it, they would have called you a conspiracy theorist or you a Russian disinformation agent. Do you see how ultimately what happens here is this feature serves the powerful? Because the powerful are going to protect the powerful. The people they hire to be fact-checkers are going to be establishment journalists, the same establishment journalists who got a million things wrong. And then the flip side of this is true as well. How many things were reported on Russiagate that turned out to be totally false? But at the time, everybody was reporting it. as if, What do you mean? This is what happens. This is true. So you could say the most hyperbolic thing about Donald Trump being a Manchurian candidate, Donald Trump being Putin's puppet, and under this system, they wouldn't say, oh, that's factually incorrect, even though it is factually incorrect. So do you see the ways that this is nonsense? It's never going to work. Listen, there's no need and there's no reason for a ministry of truth. Because these are also just human beings with their own biases and their own issues and their own problems. That's not to say that an objective reality doesn't exist. Of course, an objective reality does exist. But I don't trust the powers that be to determine what is and isn't true. So piss off with this, Twitter. You need to not go down this road. It's a terrible road to go down. And I would argue it's even, you know, in a way it does violate freedom of speech. Not necessarily, it's not necessarily illegal because they're a private company. They can do whatever they want. But... Certainly, it violates the principle of free speech. 
because you're de facto censoring whoever you want to censor and using this veneer of, oh, we're the experts. Well, you're the experts and you've been wrong a thousand times before and you'll be wrong a thousand times more. Put my record up against any establishment hack and I guarantee you my record is better but under a system like this, they'll pretend like mine is worse and they're true, what they're saying is true by definition. Some of the fact checkers they're going to use are going to be like people from CNN and shit. CNN, again, wrong about so much. But oh yeah, no, they're good enough to fact check you. Piss off with that. Okay, let me do one more real quick. Time to do one more story, bitch. Bitch. Okay, here we go. So we've now gotten to the point where the establishment is so desperate to stop Bernie, and Bernie's position is so strong that they're becoming living parodies of themselves. The corporate media outlets are so immensely panicked that they're, they're just throwing everything they got at them, and it's getting more and more hyperbolic and pathetic and sad and wrong. So here's the new one from the Washington Post. And this is real. I promise you this is real. How Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders both reject the reality of climate change. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? Bernie believes in climate change. He believes in science, and he wants to fight it. He's for a Green New Deal. Trump is the exact opposite. Okay, so here's part of the article. The first is the denialism of President Trump. He either believes or cynically pretends to believe that climate change is not a threat. His administration has gravely aggravated the threat, for example, by recklessly relaxing regulation of the superwarming gas methane. The second version is the fantasy extremism of Bernie Sanders. He would prosecute oil executives for the destruction they have knowingly caused. He, quote, welcomes their hatred and phase-out carbon-neutral nuclear power. The Vermont Independent would ban the fracking of natural gas, which is, if you control the methane emissions, a useful transitional fuel from dirty coal to clean wind and solar. I can't believe that that was a serious paragraph written by an adult. So when, when he says we're going to prosecute oil executives, you say, oh, that's, uh, that's a fairy tale. But we have evidence, we have proof that they knew about climate change dating all the way back until, what is it, the 1980s? And they actively did a giant disinformation campaign to try to act like, no, 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 this is debatable, this needs more discussion, this needs more evidence, climate change isn't happening. And anyway, give me, give me, give me the money. Give me, give me, give me, give me. So for them to say that that's, oh, that's climate denialism, how's that climate denialism? He's saying not only is it real, it's so real, and the people who caused it are such liars and frauds that we should prosecute them. That is the polar opposite of climate alarmism or climate denialism. Um, then they say, oh, well, he eventually wants to phase out nuclear power. Okay, and he never said that that was you know, contributing to climate change. It's not contributing to climate change, but he never said it did. He's just saying, hey, that also has its problems, and in the long run, we should look beyond nuclear as well. Good. That's a good. That's a totally reasonable thing to say. Don't believe me? Go talk to somebody from Fukushima. Go talk to somebody from Three Mile Island. Go talk to somebody from Chernobyl. Okay. So yeah, you can, it's carbon neutral. He never said it wasn't, but he said over a time we should probably get off that too and get some more uh, clean versions of energy. And then the banning of fracking. I mean, that's like 
file that under duh if you really want to fight climate change. They say, oh, if you control the methane emissions, you're not going to control the methane emissions. That's the point. And also, the fracking fluid that you pump into the ground is terrible. It's leaked into water supplies, which has led to people posting videos of the water coming out of their faucet on fire if you hold a freaking lighter up to it. So what do you... Guys, this is... They're so desperate and they're so ridiculous that they're just trying to pretend, like, oh, he's the same as Trump because he totally is the polar opposite of Trump. Oh, my God. They got nothing. The MSDNC parody account came out yesterday and said, no, I can't beat this. <laughs> no, like, the, this absolutely, by the way, the MSDNC parody account is back, which is wonderful. So that's awesome. Um, but he was like, I can't, like, I could sit down all day and try to come up with something to top this, but I can't do it because this is just too ridiculous. You're saying the fact that Bernie is the polar opposite of Trump means he's actually the same as Trump. Come on, man. Oh, my God. We should be celebrating, though, because they see the writing on the wall. They know that the Bernie freight train is coming, and there's nothing they could do to stop it. All right, y'all. That'll do it for me. That'll do it for me. I will see all y'all very soon. Bitch. All right. Love you guys. Everybody enjoy the rest of your day. I'll talk to you soon. Peace. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.